This episode of The Interface, I speak with Thomas Ricco, General Manager of Amphenol Antenna Solutions in Conover, North Carolina. Tom has been with Amphenol for 24 years in a number of roles and has been with Antenna Solutions for three years. We talk about the challenges and rewards of transitioning the focus of his business from being one of many antenna manufacturers to a trusted design solution partner. We talk about hiring the technical experts and getting out of the way. We talk about his upbringing in Northeast Pennsylvania, where he learned the value of rolling up your sleeves and working hard at a very young age. We talk about his love of sports and whether it's sports or running an antenna business, that success is dependent on the strength of the team. And of course, we discuss his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. We'll get through it. Easy. Of course we'll get through it. I mean, we get through yeah. it with everyone. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm easy going. That's the whole thing. That's what Callahan also knows. Yeah, go to Rico, see if he says something nuts. That's, what, that's kind of what he's saying. <laughs> well, let's see what we can do here with this then. So first of all, thank you very much for doing this today, Tom. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Again, you are a recommendation from Bill Callahan, so thanks, Bill. And and he kind of warned me. He said, well, you you know, let's see what you get. Uh, so let's uh, let's roll the dice here and see how we how we do. But again, thank you for doing right. this. So first, I want to just give you an opportunity as the GM of uh, Antenna Solutions in North Carolina, just to talk through your business, your little elevator pitch, and tell us uh, everything you'd like about your business. All right. Well, I've been with Amphenol Antennas now for just about three plus years. And it's an interesting business because we had to transform the whole business. Coming in, we were mostly a macro antenna company, which mm-hmm. are the big on the tower antennas. We're now a small cell antenna. So we're, we're directed a little bit more to the densification, working through 5G, looking for the speed everybody needs in cities. So we do canister antennas. Our big customers are everybody you think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're trying to make sure that we satisfy them. We're awaiting the big turn. This company has gone through major changes in the last three years, all for the good. We've become a design center in North Carolina. We used to be a manufacturing house. We used to have a plant in Rockford, Illinois, that no longer exists. And we moved everything into Nogales, which has been very beneficial for us mainly because of transportation costs and all, sometimes you get lucky. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you're good. It just means you're lucky. We're in, we're in a gallus and not bringing stuff in from China at the moment because transportation's high, tariffs are high. So North American manufacturing has gone a long way for us to make sure those end customers are happy. Uh, call it locally sourced. And our design teams have worked hand in hand. The biggest change we made wasn't all the plants and things like that. It's co-designing with these customers. Mm -hmm. And it's really been a success that's going to bear a lot of fruit in the future. They think they have skin in the game. We use their advice. We we do stage gates throughout that work with them, talk through each design, why they need it. And we've increased the talent level here. So I think we've made some great headways and we're looking for a bright future. What prompted the change in the business from as you as you just laid out here just a couple minutes ago from you know more of a you know you're doing these big cell antennas and all that to more of a design 
small canister. I think if I if I'm saying that properly, you are. They're, they're canisters. These things are like 24 inches to 48 inches right, tall. Right. Where a macro antenna could be as much as 10 feet tall. Right. They're, they're quite different. Well, there's been some mistakes made in the past that we have overcome, changing our image in the market and working with the customer, winning their trust back things of that nature. So we try to jump in and give them the, the next phase. We Instead of looking three generations behind on the design or just what we need today, we tried three years ago to build a roadmap that looks a little further out and change the, the, the shift the paradigm from here of the, oh, you're the me too guy. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be the me too guy. Me too doesn't make money. So we tried to get out on a nice roadmap of innovation Give them some great products, but that hand in hand, that's just so different than it was before. We used to make a product, give it to them, sell a bunch of them, and we were just one of a number. Now we're trying to be in the design house with them. Uh, unfortunately, there's a couple things that were done wrong, and we had to overcome them. And I think we're back in good shape with these customers. They they call us up constantly now, which is a big change. That's a very big victory for this division. How do you, as the GM, lead that transformation, right? I mean, because that's not easy to do. I mean, you're you're shifting the entire focus, in a sense, of, of what you guys prioritize uh, to more of a future-looking design technology center uh, from a Me Too company, using your words from before. So how do you, how do you, as the general manager, help facilitate that transformation to this new focus? Well, you have to set that direction and stick to it, but not be afraid to change. Yeah. The biggest problem is that we, we have all new management at just about every level, which is pretty good because we brought in some people that were looking at things differently. They didn't come in with, that's how we've always done it. Right. So one, I support the people, allow those changes, and there's going to be mistakes along the way. But we had to trust engineering, trust product management. It's total trust to the people that are here. We cannot, for any reason, undermine their ability to deal with the customer, Mm -hmm. to speak in our behalf, to go out and usurp that authority right out from under them. It's not a good thing. So when they have these weekly meetings with the customers, they're on their own. They go in there and they, they tell them what's going on, but we need to support them. We support them with the proper capital, resourcing, spending, staffing levels, making sure we hire the people they need. Talent does it all, and that's we've increased some talent, people that really see things outside the box. Instead of coming to say, well, that looks like a standard antenna, they want to come in and design something that no one else has, patent it, make sure that we are leading it, the performance is better than the customer, do the research to the other vendors that they have, take on competition to say that's the ground. So give them something they don't have. The team we have today does it. I support them by just – Listening, I'm an accountant. So my favorite line is, I'm just an accountant, right? That's all it is. So I get these guys together and they speak over my head most. RF design, you know, it's way down the path. You know, I spent 15 years in fiber, 18 years in fiber, little different business. But the the principles are the same. Hire the experts. And that's how I support them. Right. And get out of the way. Let them do their get job. out of the way. That's a great way of saying it. That's my manager style, right? Just be an accountant. Get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're 
still fairly early in this transformation of the business, but when did you start to see the fruits of your labor where this is this is starting to work and our customer base is starting to see us in a different way as a technology expert, as a as a partner in the design of their new solutions. Uh, when did you see that happen? In the last year, yeah. when the customer's telling the markets and we're hearing from other customers, hey, I heard you guys have something new. I heard you guys have the best antenna in the small cell arena. I heard you have the best gain. I heard you have the best patterns. I heard you. The word of mouth out there in this industry is very, very big. Yeah, it's it's a big industry. It's a small industry, not that big. I mean, if you look at the number of players, but the word of mouth in here, these guys that have bounced around to every company, they stay in tune with everything going on, and we're well known now. So it's a big change. So when you go from the chaser to the chased, mm -hmm. so that's another thing we're trying to transition in here. It's not that simple to just say we took first place. Great, everybody else is then chasing you, so your mentality has to be different and. The team we have has embraced that. They like being chased now. Before they chasing, chasing's easier. You know, I just see it as it's just so much simpler to chase people, try to be the me too, try to one up one up them and things like that. We're being chased, so we have to continually design better, better, better. And team is a they've taken that challenge on. So I'd say in the last year, hearing that word of mouth with our performance, it's nice to hear. It changes the whole game and the mentality of the company. People that were, well, here we go. We'll go do this again, uh, make another antenna. But when they're hearing they're designing the best, they have a pride factor that goes throughout and resonates throughout the whole company. Yeah, it's, it's hard to get on top, but it's probably harder to stay on top. And that's probably the challenge now that you have to figure out, right? Yep, it's a great way of saying it. The technology is leading, but you know, you're only as good as the last design. It's amazing how everybody's chasing you, and they're good too. Yeah. But uh, you know, we're not going to insult competition because they're good. They have some of our people. We have some of theirs, right? But they're good. They're going to figure it out. So we constantly have to stay ahead. And it, it's a you know, the challenge of the race is the race, right? Keep going. Yeah, exactly. When you talk about technologies. I, I know you're an accountant and I'm just a, you know, an old marketing person. So, <laughs> so none of us are super experts, but if you're talking to someone who doesn't know about um, what your business does from a technology standpoint, how do you describe it? We are the basis for everybody's cell phone work and walking around a, a, a city. Yeah. You know, there's the radio. So obviously there's the big guys that make radios. Everybody knows who they are. They're the biggest companies we have. We have them as customers. But the antenna sends the signal out that handles all your data, your voice, your internet. And somewhere between those towers and a very small indoor antenna, you have to have the small cell antenna that's going to continue the communication link. Right. So as 5G and speeds and low latencies and everything else that applies to this new new world we live in because you know there's not a person walking around without one phone most people have two <laughs> just imagine a data transfers and it doesn't matter if it's down the street if it's in the stadium wherever it is where did that antenna that sends that signal out to make sure people have coverage and that's very important because when it fails there's a lot of unhappy people right just imagine your phone not working my kids they, they don't get videos dropped on a phone all the time they're mad so <laughs> it's just the way it is that is true. Yes. Uh, your kids are like my kids. Like this, uh, it's buffering. Why is it buffering? 
Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't know anything about the old dial-up days. I try to explain it to them, and they're like, uh, "You're old, Dad." That's all they say. It's yeah, a very simple statement. <laughs> yeah, you try to make an older joke, like uh, you know, say you got mail, and they just look at you like you have a third eye, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a it's a different generation. They grew up with a phone since the day they were born. And I remember true. the first one. Shows how long I've been around. Wow. Now I'm feeling old on this, Chris. I don't know what's going on. Ah, sorry, sorry. Okay, so we'll shift gears then. We'll 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 segue then to making you feel young. So we'll go backwards, right? So you okay. you were we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You grew up in Northeast Pennsylvania. So you talk a little bit about your upbringing, your family. You know what you like to do as a kid through high school. Um, so Northeast Pennsylvania, not far from where you are in Sydney, a couple hours south, um, outside Wilkesbury. I'm a first generation college guy. So, uh, I'm a blue collar background guy, heavy work ethic, work through school, big yeah. sports guy. So uh, I grew up playing sports. I yeah. still love sports. It's all I watch really on television. I wouldn't need a television if it wasn't for sports. Yeah. So one of those. So, but Northeast Pennsylvania gave me the work ethic, yeah. right? And, and, uh, it was, uh upbringing of work hard you owe people something if they pay you um you know it didn't matter if it was cutting grass or taking your first job so that that work ethic i still have today and i try to tell people that's who i like around me people who want to go to bat and uh so yeah spent a lot of time there graduated from wilkes university small school right in wilkesbury and then i first first day after graduation moved away so i've worked for a couple other companies Prior to that, I moved away, moved to Pittsburgh, Houston, New Jersey, Georgia. I've been all over the place and a lot of, a lot of time on the road till I found a, a permanent home. I picked up a master's degree along the way at Lehigh University. Yeah. So that was good. That's a good school. Very proud to go there and ended up 24 years ago. I was 24 and a half now with Amphenol. Yeah. So it's been a very good run in Amphenol. So be- before you got to Amphenol, what were some of the jobs you did when you got when you got out of college? Most were on the accounting side. So yeah. I came out in a management training program for RGR Nabisco. Okay. I've worked for Johnson & Johnson. I've worked for BOC Gases. Uh, so a couple companies along the way. Yeah. All in accounting, mostly cost accounting, manufacturing accounting. So my background's mostly manufacturing. Even in college, my summer jobs were in a production plant, mm-hmm. work in a production line. Yeah. So I, I learned I wanted to be a, in an office when I worked in a glass plant. Um, <laughs> so it was about 100 degrees yeah. all summer, packing glass. It's, it was a brutal job. So that said, go back to school and make sure you finish. <laughs> That's yeah, all. Yeah. It was, you, you don't want to do this too long. Yeah, yeah. What made you choose accounting? I was going to be an attorney. So, but uh, being poor didn't know it, right? One of those, not poor, too strong of a term, but at the same time, knowing that I had debt coming out, uh, the legal side went away (laughs) real fast. I I needed a job. I had to start paying back my student loan. It was very easy. So accounting work, I was good with numbers. I always liked it. And I tied it to mostly manufacturing and costs. My, My background was that I like it the best. I wasn't a CPA. I wasn't a tax accountant or anything else. I just liked manufacturing. So the accounting transitioned well. It was a perfect match to what I did. Do you think you were attracted to manufacturing based on your upbringing in that area of the country? And it kind of feels like you can use what you're good at to help 
businesses that you grew up around your entire life, right? Exactly. Yeah, my dad was a plant supervisor in the glass plant. That's yeah. how I got the job, right? So I, it's all I knew. And everybody in the neighborhood, they did the same. Their parents did the same kind of work. So it was a comfort level, and but breaking away and then trying to the transition to go from being the plant guy, right, which mm-hmm. was a hard work, great rewarding work, but difficult work. You have an appreciation for everybody that does it. It's yeah. very hard to to an office. It's not that easy for a guy who never stepped a foot in an office before. I was really that fish out of water. The first day you walk in the office, you're wondering, well, what do I do here? Right, right. Yeah, for someone who's used to not only himself, but everyone that he's known around him that physically roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty with their work on a day-to-day basis and come out and sweat and and all that. And, And it's rough work, like you said, but rewarding work because at the end of the day, you could tangibly see what you have done, right? And it's, it's less obvious. I think when you go into an office to see, to get that same satisfaction that there was a job well done that day. Is that fair to say? Very fair. And it's hard, you know, that's one thing that I've maintained and I always will. Um, I have a super appreciation for people that do the actual work. Yeah. And, um, and not saying office people don't, and I don't want people to take it wrong, but the work's done on the floor and and those people are great. I make sure I talk to them every day, thank them for the work and it's their skill sets and their ability to dive in and fix things that we can only imagine. The best consultant we have is even our engineers use the hourly people because they're great at what they do. They solve problems and we should always appreciate that. Never forget that. Amphenol has been great because I think we have a great appreciation for everyone that contributes. Right. I I think you're right. And I think you can take what you just said and multiply that by however many manufacturing facilities we have around the world. And you probably hear the same sentiment echoed at each one of them. So uh, I agree. So you said then you found Amphenol or they found you. How did that all transpire 24 years ago? The days of the headhunter, right? They yeah. just called, called up and said, I got an opportunity for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I wasn't unhappy where I was, but yeah. it was a good opportunity to get back in the Northeast and get back to Costa County. And as we talked earlier, Dan Caso was there, Gary Anderson, somebody old, old guard of Ampadol. They said, you got to come aboard. Yeah. And I trusted them and they trusted me. So uh, and I was in Sydney for three years, and it was very good to learn the business. Those were great mentors, smart guys, dedicated to the company. The the, the roots of the Amphenol, right? They go back to when Amphenol wasn't this big. So right. they were they were building the they were the building blocks, and so I learned a lot from those guys. And then I had an opportunity to go to Chicago to be the controller of fiber optics. So jumped on that opportunity. Anytime you get a chance to move up, move to Chicago was controller then became controller director of operation and general manager and that was a very good run about 18 years out there we did a lot of good work with people a lot of design a lot yeah. of a lot of revenue so that was a good time to be in, in fiber fiber was the that's about the time everybody started saying we need the speed and let's go to light let's go to fiber so timing was very good there two questions on transitions for that then first was how did you handle having to learn the the technical aspects of fiber optics which are not easy and and be the general manager and 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 
not only be the controller, but then ultimately, you know, director of operations and general manager. How was it for you to learn the technology or did you just learn just enough to be dangerous and understand what people are talking about? And then second it's, was, go ahead. All right. So go ahead and answer that. No, one. go ahead. Okay. On that one, a little bit of in the beginning, it's fake until you make it. There's no, yeah. I mean, you, you got to go in and pretend like you knew what you're talking about. You can't go to a customer meeting and look like a deer in the headlights. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I took a lot of smart guys with me and yeah. again, paid attention. I spent time on the floor. I spent time with engineers. I went to China a lot where our main manufacturing plant was, went to Mexico, spent a lot of time out there learning the processes and a lot of reading on the side. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't exactly go out and say, I'm going to be a light expert. (laughs) So I I had to learn a lot, became dangerous enough to talk about it. And that was good. But there were, again, hire the right people, have people in the business that know fiber and transition with them, let them grow, let them teach it, and ask the right questions. Don't be the expert. Don't walk in like you're the big man on campus, because you're not. Honestly, I was not. I didn't know anything. So I listened and listened and listened. No, it's a good answer, and it makes complete sense. But then the the next question was transitioning – to a general manager position. So you start as a controller where you're in a, a fairly structured environment. A director of operations or, or running operations certainly gets you acclimated to more of how the business is run. But what was it like to step into a GM role, which is a whole different ballgame altogether? It's not an easy role and it's not an easy transition. Yeah. But again, I just had to trust everyone with me. But where it became interesting is not just on the local level. It was then dealing with corporate, the expectations, right. matching all of that. So it's a big job. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, people who I, – I go back to when everybody sits there. You know, everybody said it in their career. I can do that job. That guy's a meatball, right? Like, why is he in that role, right? <laughs> so yeah. I, I then became the meatball. Yeah. So you had to make it look like you knew what you were doing. But – you had to balance it. You still had to run the business. You still had to take up strat plans and budgets and understand where you fit in. But you utilizing the people we have, again, strong people. I mean, yeah. when I was controller, Diana Reardon was the, uh, the group control, the company corporate controller, and then she became CFO. Yeah, I talked to her a ton of times, learned a ton. And then when you, you go to these group roles we have, Jean-Luc Cavell, people that just take the time and explain things. Um, I worked with Adam a long time. Adam's a brilliant guy. He, he, he takes time to explain stuff to people. Yeah. And that's one yeah. thing I took from everyone. And listen, make mistakes. Believe me, there were mistakes made. There's no doubt. No sure. one can go in a role and be perfect at it. I made mistakes, learned from them, and then kept going. But the responsibilities of a GM going into it, you're like, oh, I can handle this piece of cake, right? It's a lot bigger job than people know. And I love every minute of it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it keeps me busy. And I think we do the right thing by the company. Our structure is so unique with that. So it's so much fun. And there's plenty of peers. Call a peer up and ask them if they ever seen this. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And and I love the enthusiasm, right? I can tell that you're you're excited about this. And and the thing that you keep going back to, maybe you meant it or maybe you just it's just is because it's on the top of your mind is the team, the team, the team, right? It's all about the team and developing the team and letting the team 
really be the stars of this and you just kind of follow their lead in a sense and just mold them and guide everyone to ultimately where you guys want to go. Yeah. So much of my background's rooted in sports, right? So yeah. I said that early on yeah. and I believe that a team is the only way to go. Individuals, everybody has individual responsibilities, but it's just like a baseball team. Everybody yeah. has a job to do. Just like, you know, you could be a wrestler. You have your individual job to do, but you're playing for the team. It's one unit, one cohesive unit. We win as a team, we lose as a team. Right. We celebrate together, and we we analyze why we didn't win together. Yeah. And I and I think that's the best way to be. Uh, I can't. You can't be a dictator. You can't be the one guy to sit there because you're not an expert at everything. Right. The best thing to learn as a GM is you might have your discipline. Mine's accounting. Right. But you're not an expert on everything. Take the advice work with the team and surround yourself by people who will tell you when you're nuts. If you want yes, people around you, you're the worst person in the world. You don't want people to disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. I like people who will tell me I'm bananas. <laughs> yeah. That's the, and I, unfortunately I got a bunch of them. That's good. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they have no problem telling me, are you off your rocker on this one? That's uh, I, I like that. So do I. Yeah. I got to come and hang out with you guys for a bit. I got to see this in person. <laughs> Come on down. It's a it's a mix of people, I'll tell you. <laughs> so when you're not uh, running the antenna business out of North Carolina, what do you like to do in your free time with your family, by yourself? I mean, I know you talked about sports, so I'm sure you're following something right now. Oh, I follow everything, but the family is first, right? Yeah. Family's first above all, you know, and we we, we built a a cohesive network of, you know, we have two kids. So I have a daughter in college in Florida and I have a son in college in Tennessee. Yeah. They've played sports their entire life. You know, yeah. my daughter now, she's a, she, I think her sport right now is studying at the beach because she goes in <laughs> Fort Myers. So that's good for her. Yeah. So, and my son plays baseball in college. So yeah. we were talking earlier about yep. baseball. He plays there. So I try to get to every weekend I get to get that done and go see him play. Because he doesn't play forever. Yeah. You know, that's what we figure out, right? There's an end to this, and then I have to find a hobby. So yeah. I don't have a ton of those hobbies. I used to golf a lot. Yeah. But a, a quick story on that is I quit playing so I could go to sporting events for the kids. Sure. Because I couldn't go out for five hours of golf and then about three hours at the 19th hole and then right. go home. So it right. doesn't work. Take the whole day up. So I think it it's family-driven and I'll, I'll, I have my second act coming sooner or later. But once they're out of school, then I'll figure out what my act is. Because I've dedicated it mostly to family, job, and what they want to do. And I think that's good. I think that's what I chose to do. We chose to do that route. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with it. They're, they seem to be good kids today. I'll, I'll let you know later today if I have a complaint. <laughs> yeah. you know. Dad, I they're, need money. They're still on the yeah. payroll, so yeah. I have a little power right now. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you mentioned sports. So who, what teams are, are your favorites when it comes to sports? I might as well ask. Oh, well, I'm a huge Green Bay Packer fan. I okay. travel to see them play everywhere. I've been disappointed many years in a row now. But I'm a New York Met fan. Okay. Um, big Met fan. Yeah. So, and the Flyers in hockey. So, I follow these teams religiously. Yeah. And the Sixers in basketball. So, I have my, my following. My guess is, is that you're not a quiet fan. You're not a church mouse at these games, right? You're, you're 
maybe just a touch passionate. Is that fair to say? Oh, I would think that that's probably the understatement of a lifetime. Yeah. I'm the kind of guy that was thrown out of Little League games at, in the stands because I didn't like the way the calls were going against my son, right? So, yeah, I, I'm a little passionate. Most people in Nampa all know me would definitely agree with that statement. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you don't lack for passion. That's a good thing. So we'll wrap up with this then, okay? Uh, I... I give you a certain amount of time longer than a week but less than a year where you get to be on a nice deserted island by yourself we'll give you a tv so you could have the espn app or something like that and watch sports and catch up on that but if i say okay tom you could bring with you one book or one album one book one movie we'll start with an album what album would you bring with you so from an album standpoint i listen to everything yeah everything and i mean everything yeah be surprised at some of the music and I have this war going right now with Spencer Williams. He was on an earlier podcast, yeah, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So he, he's this West Coast rap guy, and I'm the East Coast rap guy. So I like Biggie. He likes Tupac. I'm not – I'm winning that one right now. So, <laughs> uh, But uh, if I had to take one, it would be anything by Chris Stapleton. No. I've mellowed. I got away from the, the rap, with yeah. the gangster rap. You know, me and Biggie go back a bit. And I love challenging Spencer, but it would be Chris Stapleton. Okay. Good music. Regular Joe used to write music. Now he sings music. He's, he's the kind of guy I'd like to have a beer with somewhere yeah. in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. So. And boy, could he play. Yeah. Like Tennessee whiskey yep. or something like that. Right. There we go. Yeah. Yep. That's right. where I would go. Very good. Okay. How about a book? I made it through high school on cliff notes. So that yeah. doesn't count. So uh, I, I wouldn't have lived without those cliff notes. So, but now that I'm more mature, I, I do a lot with, I, I read a lot about Churchill. Again, a flawed guy yeah, yeah, who made mistakes along the way but still became a leader. So yeah. I think his background's great to read about. So anything on Winston Churchill uh, intrigues me that someone from his background, his flawed life, yeah. could still yeah. be such a leader. So you got to admire that. So I, I've read many things on Winston Churchill. So that would be a – and they're usually big books, so it takes a while to get through them. Yeah. So, so that would take be good on an time. island, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then how about a movie? I narrowed that down. I thought about this, obviously, as you could tell. But That's I good. narrowed it down to as you flip through the channels on what's on TBS that night, you know, yeah. one of those, they replay. There's two. One is Roadhouse. You know, I never turn off Roadhouse. Yeah. It's just a great movie, kind of mindless. Oh, yeah. Or or Bull Durham. So, But oh, Bull Durham yeah. would win. Yeah. yeah. Bull Durham would win. It, it's in North, it's filmed, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina. So I think it's baseball. So it has all the good parts to it. So I would go Bull Durham. Bull Durham. I'm a huge fan. That's probably, in my opinion, the best baseball movie ever. I think you're right. So yeah. I'm with you on that one, Chris. Yeah, you know? and I, I love minor league baseball, and that's that that's a perfect description of, of what it would be like. I'm I'm saying that like I actually played, but I, I want to at least fantasize that that's the way it is. So <laughs> I think it's pretty close to those small towns, right? Yeah, so I think yeah, we, I think so. All yeah. right, well, Tom, listen, I thank you for doing this today. I, I really do appreciate it. We'll take you off the desert island now. We'll put you back in the frozen tundra of North Carolina. There we go. <laughs> nice touch. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, I thank you for doing this. Great conversation. It was good to meet you. I, hopefully we get to meet each other sometime in person here soon, too. I'm sure we will. Chris, be healthy. Nice talking to you. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.